0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, uh, we are continuing our study in the letter to the Colossians this morning. In Colossians chapter 3, we start at verse 5. That's page this many eight four nine eight four in the pew Bibles uh, and um you're not going to like it I'll just put it out there um I found uh there's always uh um I will pray first. Mm, mm. Lord, uh, pray for clarity this morning. Um, understanding. Pray for your spirit to work and speak. Uh, soften our hearts. Open our ears. Lord, uh, help me uh, read the words. Mm. Not get confused. And not confuse your people. I pray that... Uh, you would be at work now, as we open your word and open our hearts into it. We'll love it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> I found this always a good time to think about the more philosophical aspects of be a Christian. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the uh, philosophy of the empty and mechanical religious practices that have plagued the church over the centuries. And we've talked about seeking the things that are above, having our minds set on holiness and righteousness. And it's been great. It's been uh, These have been very, what you could call, very front porch conversations. a type of conversations and things you can talk about uh, together, and it doesn't really matter if somebody stops by and walks in on the conversation, it's kind of out in the open. That's a front porch conversation. Never heard that expression before? Maybe I just make it up. Okay, no, I don't know. That's good. All right. But unfortunately, well, maybe not. I'm sure it's not unfortunate. I'm just nervous about it. Uh, The the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, has some more personal, intimate things to talk about. Uh, So in order for us to get the proper context for our text that we look at this morning, we're going to have to go all the way back to chapter 2 in verse twenty. To get at the point of chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Uh, so we're going to read that together. Go back to Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 20, on the same page, I think. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used uh, why do you submit to regulations according to human precepts and teachings these in may these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. So, just a quick quiz. See who is paying attention. What was the purpose of promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body? Well, you answered my question. Maybe we have to read it again. Hmm. The purpose was stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Right? So we look back at there in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, talking about all of these restrictions and rules. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not having any fun either, believe me. These things, submitting to these regulations, they have an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The indulgence of the flesh is Paul's concern. The Holy Spirit's concern is speaking through him. Our flesh is fixed on the things of earth. Paul called this the old self or the old man. And that includes ladies too. But I think old ladies sound a little different. (laughs) Thank you for your grace. Uh, Our old self, we'll put it that way, our old self, the flesh, wants to set our minds on the things of earth, on our old way of life. And to participate in the lifestyle of the world around us. That's the definition of indulgence of the flesh from verse 23. And this is what Paul is teaching against. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked about how the life we now live, if we have faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us, the life we now live is a totally new kind of life. It's wholly other. Completely different. We are saved from the eternal consequences of sin. We died to sin. And we are raised to new life in Christ. Eternal life for us has already begun. And praise the Lord, it's not the life that we now live is just going to last forever. So all the stuff we don't like about life is going to last forever too. (laughs) We have... a Citizenship in a kingdom beyond this world, and the troubles and the trials and the sin and the pain, we can look forward to that. But that life has already begun. But even though the eternal consequences of our sin has been they have been dealt with by Christ on the cross, we still have to deal with the desires of the flesh, of the old way of life, the indulgence of the flesh. And this is where it gets personal. Paul gets personal. Uh, It's a a confrontation probably not fit for the front porch. So let's step into the kitchen and have a conversation. There is only one way to deal with the desires of the old self, the desires of the flesh. It's not to make rules. It's not set boundaries to say, no, you can't have this, you can't do that, Uh, you're tempted by this, so you can't do this anymore. There's only one way to deal with the desires of the flesh. Do you know what it is? You have to kill it. Paul says A kill them. He gives us two lists of the ways the old self that must uh, must two lists of the ways of the old self that must be put to death in us, and we're not going to really enjoy either one of them. Uh, I had in mind to get through both and I couldn't. So we stuck with one. So you may want to make other plans next week um, because it's not going to get any better. Listen to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There's our list. This first list that the Lord gives us is the worldly understanding of sexuality. And He commands us to put it to death. We must put to death what was once customary in our understanding of sex, or how the world views sexuality. I apologize for the conversation some of you parents are going to have to have with your kids on the way home. (laughs) It's part of life. And the can't skip over it. I have to talk to my own kids, so we'll all be in the same boat. Um, Just by way of definition of the things on this list, and so that you know that the Lord leaves no stone unturned, um, looking at our list... Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. It's a fornication or promiscuity, extramarital affairs, also known as adultery, or premarital sex. Uh, basically, any sexual activity with someone who is not your spouse, as defined by Scripture. Okay? Okay? No stone unturned. Impurity, which falls under the general heading of sexual immorality, is any unnatural sexual activity. Homosexuality or pedophilia or bestiality or anything pervert like that. Unnatural. Isn't this fun? Lust. Lust. This is what Jesus called adultery of the heart. This is un... Ha, ha, ha. I'm glad you're here, Esther. Breaking the tension here. Lust is uncont... (laughs) Hmm... Somebody get her a cookie or something. This is an uncontrollable passion. This would include the use of pornography or filthy literature, lusting with the eyes and poisoning the heart. And evil desire. These are the unholy sexual fires and illicit cravings. And finally, covetousness, which seems a little out of place, doesn't it? We're going to talk about sex and then covetousness as well. Well, guess what? It's not out of place. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you remember what the 10th commandment is? We like to shorten it and say, you shall not covet. Uh, There's a lot. After that, thou shalt not covet. It says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, let's, to get specific, uh, if someone that you are coveting is not your spouse, that means that someone else's spouse, whether they're married or not. They belong to someone else who's not you, and you not covet them. Hmm. What makes covetousness idolatry is the desire to find satisfaction in anything or anyone that is not God our Father. In this context, it is clearly addressing the desire to fill one's life with sexual relationships and activity, worshipping sex and not the Lord, or putting sex before God. So what are we supposed to do with these things? We didn't really think the Bible had a whole lot to say about this, right? Well, God cares about these things because there, isn't it obvious that this is a driving force in our culture? It's pretty important that we have a good handle on it and not just ignore it and, and, and nev- never talk about it. You think I want to talk about it this morning? Not really. I'd like to talk about the Patriots game last night instead. This is important even if it's uncomfortable. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do with these things, these actions and attitudes, these things that are for the most part perfectly acceptable to the rest of the world? What the world say about sex? Everybody, go for it. There's no rules, there's no boundaries. Do whatever you want. Is that what the Lord has for us? No, we, he gives us boundaries. Is it because he hates us? Look, everybody likes sex, so you can't do it, right? You want to have that stuff, so you can't. Because I'm God and I like to make you miserable. No. This is created by God. Sexual relationships are created by God. The act of sex is created by God. And we might not like to talk about it, but having a correct handle on this is another way that we worship the Lord because we put His way before our own. It's important. So what do we do with these things? Sinful attitudes and actions and desires, we kill them. We we'll kill it. That's the only way. You can't just wound it. You can't just uh, tie it to a tree, leave it in the backyard so you can go back and visit it whenever you feel like. We have to put to death what is earthly in us. Putting these things to death is how to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Now, that may seem simple, but it's not. It's not easy either. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 29 of 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Well, it seems extreme. And I am not advocating surgical procedures here. And Jesus wasn't either. You know what happens when you cut off the right hand of a thief? He becomes left handed. That's it. It's an attitude of the heart. Physical surgery is not going to fix it. You struggle with, less with your eyes, gouging your eyes out. Does not change the attitude of your heart. Okay? That's where the problem is. In the heart. The point is to do whatever is necessary to stop the behavior. And it's hard. Cancel your internet or cable. End that friendship. Quit that job. Whatever it is that continues to draw you back in, get rid of it. But more importantly, lay your heart open before the Lord. Because we can make all the rules we want. We can make all the boundaries we want. But until the Lord does His work in our hearts, it's ineffective. We'll just find another way. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Verse 6 says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You ever think about that idea? Because of sexual immorality, the wrath of God is coming? Yikes. Whenever I hear the words... Well, let me ask you, when you hear the words wrath of God, what do you think of? Destruction, fire and brimstone. I always think of bowls of wrath from Revelation. There was a band called One Bad Pig, Christian band. and They sang, a, they sang a, a song about have a bowl of wrath. Look it up on a Google, if you allow yourself to use the internet now. That's what I think of, have a bowl of wrath. But that's not what I think Paul is talking about here. What's interesting is that uh, Paul, when he writes, the wrath of God is coming, is present tense. That means the wrath of God right now is presently happening. And it is continuing. The wrath of God is already happening. We're not to wait for a golden bowl of fire and brimstone to pour down on us. God's wrath is already visiting mankind. The wrath of God is simply God's judicial reaction to evil. It's already happening and continues to happen. In this realm of sexual immorality, the wrath of God is God simply giving people over to their own wicked desire. Giving them exactly what they want, which is the worst thing God could do to someone. Give them exactly what they want. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 31. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Is this not the reality in which we live? Did I not just read words that describe our world? Now let's be careful that we don't just point fingers to those outside. That's not our responsibility. We examine our own hearts. And how does this fit me? How am I described in there? We're not so different, are we? If we really think about it. We are to put these things to death in us. The Greek word put to death, necroo, a figurative extension of putting to death, to cease completely from an activity with the implications of taking extreme measures to guarantee their termination. What are extreme measures? Well, I guess cut off your foot or hand or gouge out your eye. That's pretty extreme. Canceling your internet is pretty extreme. Quitting your job. Avoiding people that tend to you. Ending relationships that are unholy. It's extreme. And it's what's necessary. Churches all over the world, even today, have been pressured into giving in to the world's definition of what is acceptable behavior. But our opinion of what sin is doesn't matter. What I think is sinful, what I think is gross, doesn't matter. What matters is God's definition of sin. What I think is no big deal, who cares? What authority do I have? None. None. God's word has authority to define sin. And no matter how much cultural pressure there is, it will not change. We are constantly being pressured to giving in to the world's definition of what is acceptable. But sin will also will always be sin, no matter who approves of it. And so we must not give in to it. Because Christ died for our sin... He took our place on the cross so that we might have new life, free from slavery to sin and evil desires, and alive to righteousness and holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a better way for us to live. Warren Wiersbe wrote, We are alive in Christ, therefore we should seek the heavenly. We are dead in Christ, therefore we should slay the earthly. We can become like Christ. Therefore, we must strengthen the Christly and permit the Spirit to renew our minds, making us more into the image of God. If you have found yourself entangled in these sins, you are not beyond help. All hope is not lost. Cry out to the Lord, and he will forgive you. He will pull you up out of the mire and set your feet on the rock and give you a firm place to stand. All you have to do is ask. Amen. Amen. Blessed, pray. Right? Father, I confess that far too often I have allowed the world's definition of what is acceptable to define my behavior. Far too often I have allowed uh, traditions of men, even in the church, to define what is acceptable in my mind. Please forgive me. May our only standard for what is right and good and holy and righteous and what is bad and sinful and unholy and unrighteous May our definition be only found in your word. Not to redefine it because culture puts the pressure on us. Not to redefine it because our own flesh puts the pressure on us. I pray, Lord, that we would seek your will, not our own. Find the truth of your word because it's only your opinion that matters, not ours. We pray for grace that we would be forgiven where we have fallen. We pray for strength to say no to the temptations to sin. We pray that we would say no to pointing the finger of judgment in the faces of those who don't line up with our definitions. That's not our place. May your Holy Spirit convict us of sin. May your Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts that we would be changed, that our minds would be renewed, and our hearts would be set on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. For us in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church. Post Office Box 576, West Ossipede, New Hampshire, 03890.